Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chitheads. My guest today is David Buckland. David is a former IT consultant who lives on Vancouver Island in the temperate rainforest of southwest Canada. He began his spiritual journey in the mid-1970s. On a long retreat soon after, he began witnessing full-time and refined perception clicked on with a bang. He has now been meditating and exploring consciousness for more than 40 years. Soon after awakening in 2007, he began writing online under the nickname Davidia. The name and related blog, davidia.ca, soon took on a life of its own. In 2011, he earned an MA in Vedic science, studying Vedic literature, Sanskrit, and world religions. He has observed and spoken with many people having shifts in consciousness and has been working to synthesize historical understanding with modern experience. So with that, hello, David. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So as I was mentioning before we started the recording, I've spent um, the last couple of days reviewing a lot of your writings and and listening to a really fascinating and kind of mind-blowing podcast episode with Rick of uh, Buddha at the Gas Pump a podcast. And so I'm really looking forward to, you know, talking to you a little bit today about some of those areas that you talk with Rich about, Rick about, but also um, specifically kind of the seven stages of consciousness as you outline them. And I find this to be, I found this to be particularly inspiring because it resonates a lot with what my own teacher teaches, which is kind of the importance of understanding um, the kind of architecture of consciousness and the ways in which these stages can come, some can sometimes get confused um, with each other, or we can speak about, you know, consciousness in general from the perspective of one stage. And so there's a lot of sort of, it feels like kind of misunderstanding where you very clearly, you know, particularly in your book and on your blog, kind of delineate these, um, you know, clear stages, but in a way that's not dogmatic. You, you sort of always, you step back from describing something and saying, well, it could also be sort of uh, subjectively perceived differently based on someone's, you know, karma or whatever. So um, before we get into all that, I would love to just hear, you know, maybe an abridged version of that story of your own awakening process. I know you've, you know, you've had enough experiences to, you know, comprise a whole encyclopedia of spiritual experiences. But um, if you could give us kind of the highlights of your own story and, and how you've come to understand what we might call that kind of architecture of consciousness. Okay. Uh, the process started for me in the, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, in the in mid-70s, uh, 1970s, when uh, I went on a long uh, retreat, a six-month retreat, to learn to teach meditation. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through that, uh, I started witnessing full-time. Uh, and that basically means that I shifted from being a person here in the, you know, the body-mind, experience myself as a body-mind, into being a, a detached observer of the body mind and its behavior however um i did not uh, i was still identified with the ego so there was kind of a, a combination of this this detached observer with the ego itself a, a kind of inner duality uh, so it was uh, a sort of awakening but not a true uh, uh not true self-realization the self itself was awake but hadn't woken up to itself through this physiology uh yet and so uh, that meant, though, that I was kind of observing the whole thing. So uh, not just my waking um, activity, but during the night sleep and, and dreams and so on like that, there was a, a quality of observer there uh, and a continuity of uh, 
uh, continuity of self, mm. uh, so to speak, that didn't come and go when when, a, when you fall asleep at night. The ego self uh, is a mind construct, and it, it goes to sleep at night when you sleep. So it kind of comes and goes. Oh, it doesn't like the idea of that, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it does. And uh, whereas the, the 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 larger self, the of the, the self of consciousness, um, is with us all the time, and uh, that kind of that continued along for quite a few years. And um, um, I got involved with with a career and uh, got married and had a family, sort of routine businesses. So the spiritual development kind of continued, but it was more backdrop for quite a long time. And then uh, in the uh, mid 2000s, things started changing again. My old life fell away, and uh, you know, spirituality came back in the foreground more. Uh, and then I met Lauren Lucia Hoff, mm -hmm. who are uh, spiritual teachers out here on the west in Western Canada. And uh, then fi finally, with with some exposure to them, uh, some darshan, as people say, um, self woke up here as well. Um, and I think. Um, probably because of the long witnessing that had been going on, um, that then the next couple of stages came fairly quickly. Um, there, so I had the, the step through uh, what's known as God consciousness, which is essentially uh, an awareness of the fine mechanics. When you first wake up, there's kind of the surface mechanics of the body-mind, and then uh, underneath there's that uh, consciousness, of the eternal consciousness that underlies all experience. But between those two layers, there's a number of other uh, things. I spoke about that during the Science and Non-Duality Conference mm -hmm. uh, this fall, those layers. Uh, but essentially, those layers begin to become conscious. And uh, and so we begin to see how consciousness is actually the, not just uh, our own fundamental nature within, but it's the fundamental nature of everything around us as well. Mm -hmm. Everything arises out of consciousness, that process of, of becoming becomes apparent in a number of ways. And then there's another, another shift happened then, which is uh, generally known as unity consciousness, where the self that's underlying the world uh, is recognized to be the same self as the self that we've woken up within. So I woke up to, it's kind of like the world then appeared as if a movie screen, um, and, a con and the consciousness was the screen and the world was playing out on the screen, and, and that consciousness of the screen was the same consciousness as was uh, here, looking out, was looking back, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, the world, you're looking out at the world, and the world is looking back to you, so to speak. Um, and so the dynamics there of being the observer and the observed, they uh, come together into one, one thing, and uh, and then there's just what remains is the process of experience, mm -hmm. perception, and, and the dynamics of experience itself. Um, and the unity stage uh, has a quality of, of stages in itself, sub-stages, you could say. And there's a progressive development of, as you just live life and have experiences, and you realize, oh, that is myself also, and oh, that is myself also. And it's mm -hmm. kind of this gradual, progressive uh, uniting of all the layers of experience and memories and all these layers of, of um, your life into one uh, wholeness. And there comes a point, and there's different ways this is experienced, but there comes a point where consciousness knows itself both locally and 
in, in the fullness of itself. And then um, once it knows itself fully, it no, it's, that, that kind of process is complete. The, the process of development in consciousness is complete. And then consciousness can look beyond itself, which is kind of an interesting thing. Somebody in self-realization or unity experiences consciousness as being uh, infinite and eternal and uh, you know boundless. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, it's endless. So how could it have an outside? Right. Um, but then when you get to that point, you look. It can look beyond itself, and you realize that it too is another layer of becoming. And it has a source in, in what's uh, what the Vedic uh, tradition calls Brahman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brahman is a challenging thing to talk about because uh, it's beyond experience, right. beyond the experience, beyond consciousness. And yet the seeds of consciousness are in there. So the way they talk about it in the text is that the Brahman knows itself. Mm-hmm. You know it. You know it by being it. It's not experienced in the same way, although it has a quality of being conscious. It's because the qualities of consciousness come out of Brahman. It's um, not like being conscious of an object, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it's it's a it's even and it's an even greater non-duality or greater uh, union yeah. than uh, unity even, and and you know it, it's because even even the subtle duality of experiencing or of being, because being, to the sense of being implies a non-being, and, right? And sense of Consciousness requires a non-consciousness, yeah. whereas Brahman is beyond that and it inclusive of all of it. So it gets quite uh, complex. And then uh, since the interview from 2015 that you mentioned in the introduction, um, there's been another unfolding, uh, which is known as Parabrahman. And Parabrahman is a... Um, um, well, para means beyond or, or greater than. So it's, it's kind of a obscure to think of something greater than Brahman as well. Uh, but there is this quality of what could be best described as pure divinity mm-hmm. uh, that's that's even greater than Brahman. Um, an analogy uh, I've used is, um, for example, the experience of pure consciousness. Most of the time in our, our day-to-day experience, we, we experience consciousness with content. Yeah. We are having this experience. We're, we're noticing that. We're, we're, there's this thought. There's this emotion. All these things are going on, and we're noticing it. But then, in a, when we have a deep meditation, we go within. We can have experiences of pure consciousness, or we can have the experience of awareness without content. And this is somewhat equivalent, where you have divinity uh, without. There's no other real name for it, um, but without content, without expression, without. Uh, Express, uh, 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 any sort, any of the qualities that we might have ascribed to consciousness and so on, and and yet it's it has a completeness, and once again, it can only known, be known by itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> profoundly so, abstract. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's so much richness there, and and so I want to yeah. go back just a little bit and maybe and and take a few points. One of them okay. is, um, um, you know, just sort of. Obviously, you're speaking of, and what I love about the, a word that you use a lot in in the book you wrote is refinement and and this yeah. constant you know sequence of of utter, uh, more subtle refinements, which is also a word that my teacher uses quite a bit as well. And and um, 
and you know, I guess just to contrast that sort of subtle refinement process with with something that you see a lot, um, I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on this, which is you know a lot of spiritual teachers who are who sort of have a kind of aha moment, and then they speak of this sort of punctuated moment, and it's sort of like you know it's always an, and it's sort of like and then I was awakened. You know, and, and what I hear you saying is that, like, no, there's there's much more sort of subtle stages of this, blah, blah, blah. So in in is this kind of first, um, you know, juncture of awakening that a lot of spiritual teachers might speak about? Is it is it tend to be the same one? And, you know, when you when you see it happening in other spiritual teachers, what which stage of the process is this usually? Is it the first one or is there kind of a. How would you well, explain? Well, that? it varies, and this is where it's a little complicated to take a look at. For example, those in the uh, Papaji lineage from Ramana um, are taught not to speak about stages. Right. And yet, if you listen to, for example, Gagaji's interview on Buddha the Gas Pump, it's kind of clear that she goes through the stages. Yeah. But she doesn't use that kind of language. She just talk about. She just kind of talks about, you know, these progressive openings, and um, and so. So they they don't talk about stages to avoid concepts of stages. Right. But of course, the concepts are not it. The, right. the map, not the road. Yeah. And and that's the hazard of, of talking about this. You can you know read my book and gather all these concepts about uh, you know what it's supposed to be like, but the actuality is is a whole different thing. Right. And I you mean, can you I, sorry go ahead. Yeah. But even for myself, I I studied the, uh, these ideas uh, earlier on and had these concepts about what it was supposed to look like, but the actual actuality. Is beyond from beyond the mind, and so the mind uh, can never meet that. So I had to basically throw it all out again, and then bring it back again within this new context, and realize, oh, that's what he meant. It wasn't really this thing; it was this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I really appreciate your insight uh, about concepts because I've seen you. You know, you write write about it, and then you also talk about it in the interview as well, which is, you know, that that they're sort of they're kind of necessary, but are, they're also obstacles. Like you, you, because the opposite, right? If you didn't have any kind of conceptual vocabulary, then you wouldn't have any way to kind of uh, situate your experience. And maybe if you grew up in a kind of, you know, for example, rigid Judeo-Christian idea of things, you would experience a you know, kind of awakening moment in the kind of, you know, colors or garb of something that would uh, be problematic or, you know. Yeah, and it's it's a it's an interesting uh, conundrum because, on the one hand, you know the map can be confused with the road, but on the other hand, do you deny a person a map when they're on the road? Because uh, there are certainly people, uh, quite a few people now, who are waking up outside of any tradition. Yeah, and they, you know I've, I've spoken with a number of people who had no uh, expectation of of enlightenment. They may even have had a spiritual interest, but enlightenment wasn't on the table. And then when it showed up. They had no idea what to make of it, yeah. and so they, they needed some support. And some of it, I think, assumes that the teacher will be available when the event happens, and so then they can have that conversation. Uh, but if you're outside of a tradition, or another thing that happens sometimes is that people will have shifts that, uh, in a way that are not how it's described in that tradition. Yeah. Uh, in my own experience, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about witnessing all that time before I finally woke up in the tradition that I was uh, uh, first had, in that tradition, witnessing full times means you are awake. Yeah. Quite often it does, but sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so there's always all, all these uh, variations. And you know, and, and as you mentioned, there there's the you know things like sometimes people wake up and there's a sense of um, an ego death and a falling away into a into a, a sense of no self. 
and uh, in, into a, a grand emptiness. And other times, people have the shift and they wake up to a fullness, right? Uh, and, and a self, a, a cosmic self. Yeah, a very clear sense of cosmic. It's like the self. Hindu versus the Buddhist experience. Yeah, yeah, and they're actually both completely valid. And yeah. sometimes it's a framing thing. Cause if a Buddha person has a Buddhist background. I've, I've met people who talk about no self and, and frame it that way, even though they do experience cosmic self. Yeah. But because of their background, they, they frame it as no self. Um, and you know, and, and that adds another trickiness to the layer because the language they're using uh, may be related to their tradition rather than their experience. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and there's all those things. And there's also people who have a sense of expanding from being a, a small me. They expand it to becoming a cosmic self. There isn't a, a, a break in the same kind of a way, or they have a devotional surrender. Um, you know, there, there's a there's a bunch of different ways that that uh, shift can be experienced. Do you think that there's a real issue with um, you know people having these experiences, and then you know, given our kind of um, medical <laughs> approach to psychological states, that they would be read as sort of forms of psychosis? Uh, it, it does happen sometimes. Um, that people misunderstand it. I mean, one of the the uh, better-known stories related to that um, is the, the book um, Collision with the Infinite, mm-hmm. was written some years ago. Uh, that was a woman who woke up who had some context, but her experience didn't match her understanding, and she refused to accept. And she even had people tell her that she'd woken up, but she refused to accept it. Oh, wow. And she basically fought it for 10 years. Wow. I went through a lot of difficult, uh, at a very difficult time. So that's kind of an extreme, extreme and unusual version. And then finally she accepted it and uh, actually had her unity shift pretty quickly after that. Mm-hmm. But um, generally, but and there could be, uh, but when she didn't accept it, she then actually went to psychologists to try and get them to pathologize her experience. Mm. She was looking for that. Yeah, <laughs> right. But yes, uh, the Western Western psychologists, for the most part, don't have any context for this. Yeah. And so uh, they can. It depends on how it's being experienced, though, because a- after a shift, there can be quite a bit of purification. Sometimes, depending on, sometimes not, but sometimes, and um, a period of settling in and integrating and so on like that. And if if you just kind of list out the 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 symptoms and the side effects of what's going on. Uh, for someone who's who doesn't have any background in this, they can it can perhaps seem like a uh, some kind of a, a psychological, yeah. or yeah, because the ego is is you know has has collapsed in some way, um, or or is dysfunctional in some way, or isn't responding in the normal kind of way, um, and you know it really depends on how it's unfolding. So it is really useful to be able to have uh, help if the, those kinds of things are going on, um, so you're not kind of just thrashing around and, and, and fighting it. You know, you yeah. want to be able to support what's what's unfolding. Now, just to be very clear, the vast majority of people that I know have, who have shifted have not had those kind of kind of traumas. Um, uh, it, but it does it does come up once in a while. Yeah, uh, those possibilities. For most people, it's just kind of this process of there's there's like uh, Ayashanti, for example. He talks about a honeymoon after the awakening, and then the mind trying to come back up again and. Or, or frame another way that the stuff that's you you now have this big open space, and the uh, anything that's remains to be purified basically rushes into that space to be cleared. Yeah. And there can be then a whole lot of unpacking going on. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. 
And, and that's uh, that's quite normal, and and uh, and just you know people get used to it. Generally speaking, if they've been on a spiritual path for a while, yeah, that's, uh, they're used to that anyway. So. So I have one question. Well, two questions, actually. One is related to um, kind of the the reason why maybe there would be a prescription or a suggestion not to kind of share these stages. Is it partly because there's kind of a reaching or a kind of chasing after certain experiences as a, as a kind of like collection of, you know, it's like I'm collecting my, you know, my shiny new car, I'm collecting stage two and stage three, and then I can go and talk about how I've, you know, reached stage two and stage three, so I can, you know, establish myself as sort of in some sort of superior position to other spiritual seekers. Is that like part of the... the well, the... It, it can, there can be that dynamic. The chasing of experiences is definitely an issue. Uh, like some spiritual communities uh, are now uh, getting involved with, with things, or people, spiritually oriented people rather, are getting involved with things like... Uh, hallucinogens yeah. and, um, and going on uh, medicine journeys and stuff uh, and quite often that's motivated by by a chasing of experiences yeah and a, an idea that the experiences are it but awakening isn't an experience it can have experiences that come with it yeah but it's actually a shift in your sense of who you are a shift right. in a change in, in what it is that's looking out through these eyes uh, or, or at least your awareness of what it is is looking out. I mean, it doesn't actually change at all. It just shifts where you're experiencing it from. And and it's also useful to know that it's not, you know, you don't actually ever wake up. No one no one wakes up. You wake up from the me. Yeah. You don't, not the me that wakes up. You wake up from it. And, yeah. and you, become, you shift back into this larger uh, aspect of yourself. And so th those kind of things can help a little bit with context. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, there, there's definitely a spiritualization of uh, various concepts and stuff, and, and yeah, competitive spirituality and <laughs> that kind of thing can, can go on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned that I really appreciated was that that the the kind of physiological experiences, you know, it's not the physiological experiences themselves because sometimes they, you know, they have sort of a con common features, um, and so the the kind of the experience itself of, of the awakening stage is confused with sort of accompanying physiological symptoms, and I really like appreciated that yeah. um, because also I think it, it it also dovetails with your observation or the the thing you like to mention about you know puberty it's a natural process and it happens to everyone but how it sort of shows up and manifests is quite variable yeah 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 exactly yeah so this kind of when, when someone shifts there's kind of three parts of the shift now some people have very quiet shifts uh but quite often there can be uh both experiences that are triggered by the shift and purification that's triggered by the shift but the experiences and purification both go away they, they end uh, as everything all kinds of experience all experiences do they come and they go and uh whereas it's the, the actual shift is behind all that and if you could get confused because even some people who wake up get a little confused by that and they start trying to look for the experiences again yeah because the experiences go away but the actual shift is is behind that but as it gets more clear and and uh solid uh, you know those kind of things get more obvious that's more just right after the shift yeah some, so back to the uh, the what you mentioned about um, hallucinogens, because I actually wanted to ask you about that. Do you think, uh, you know, is your opinion on them that, uh, be, I, because I've heard people say that it's sort of they can wreak havoc on your subtle body because they're sort of, they're, it's really intense, and obviously, <laughs> and, and, that, and, and that can sort of distort 
the awakening. And then there are people who are obviously of the mind that they kind of fast forward the awakening process or sort of, you know, are kind of radical purifiers and tools of purification. So, you know, do you have a perspective on the use of psychedelics as a kind of tool? Yeah, uh, well, that that first is actually my perspective. Um, yeah, where it does, it it can give big flashy experiences and stuff. But again, awakening isn't about experiences. Yeah, it's about what's behind experiences and beyond the mind and beyond those dynamics. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the um, um, and as as you mentioned, um, some of those the hallucinogens can create quite strong um, stresses in the physio in the subtle yeah. physiology, energetic stuff which actually get in the way of, of waking up. Um, my own experience on long retreats and, and so on was that, is, is that people that, that have spent any time um, in you know, experimenting with, with the more powerful drugs and things were the ones that have the, the poorest experiences. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it's not a, a recommended path in the, in the, modern, in the modern journey. Um, and some of the uh, I don't know. There's, there's some euphemisms around it uh, that people use uh, that are I don't know a little bit misleading. It's 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 not from you know the Western culture. Uh, it's from an an, an ancient culture, and, and it's being used outside of the context of, of that culture usually. And um, I can certainly see uh, its benefit in certain very specified circumstances, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but like uh, any medicine. Yeah, exactly. But as a spiritual practice, um, I don't think that's a great idea. You know, there's apparently there's apparently quite a few of the sadhus wandering around in India that are stoned on pot. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like block this this uh, fog and you know subtle fog, and so that really doesn't help you see through the veils. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what about, um, you mentioned, I, I think I'm getting the term right. I was looking it up and I couldn't place it in the book, but it, I think you mentioned, is it deflected kundalini? The oh, yeah. That's a very specialized kind of a thing. Uh, it's not typical. But yeah, there there is, um, uh, I, I find it really interesting because I've seen a couple of examples. Yeah. Not, not over a lot of people we're talking about, but just a couple of examples. But it did really explain um, the behavior of a few people that I'd met. Um, back Can you describe what that is? What is deflected kundalini? Well, basically, there the, the the physiology has has a number of, of channels, and kundalini means coiled. Essentially, it's it's a, the energy coiled up in the at the root of this of the spine. Um, as that starts to open up, there's various channels that it can flow through. Um, what you want is the the kundalini shakti to rise up the center line, up the up the shushumna, up to the crown. And, um, but what can happen in certain cases, there are secondary channels out the side that, that, uh, uh, the Saraswati and other ones, uh, I'm not, I'm no expert at this, but, but there are other channels where it can, it can rise up more easily and, and get close to the top. Mm. And so a person can have the, the, the Shakti go up, up the side channel, uh, start having lots of spiritual experiences, may have things like charisma and, and abilities show up and and so on um, but it doesn't actually go all the way to the top so it can't actually sustain um, the uh, an awakening experience and it's not an actual awakening and so uh, and it goes up and down and so it kind of creates a, a bipolar kind of a uh, an effect in their behavior and and, uh, uh, and so on it's not a true awakening 
Now, it's important to, on the subject of Kundalini to mention, though, that to, to be clear again, you know, on along the lines of chasing experiences, the Kundalini is the energetic uh, uh, support structure for stabilizing and awakening in the physiology, uh, but it's not causal. Right. So, in a similar way, the key is is going to source uh, what what the yoga tradition calls samadhi or uh, the Upanishads refer to as Turiya, uh, is going beyond the mind into source and um, uh, on a regular basis. And then that becomes uh, familiar and integrated and, and, and it prepares the physiology, uh, makes us much more prone to awaken. Um, whereas trying to force or push the Kundalini uh, can cause problems. Uh, I know a few people who, who have gone through a process like that and it tends to make their process rougher mm -hmm. uh, because the kundalini will open naturally through spiritual progress uh, when it's appropriate and kind of forcing that can cause uh, roughness yeah now when you say that kundalini is is causal do you or not causal excuse me causal. do you do you do you mean that it doesn't it's not the cause of the awakening process yeah the, yes. the movement but, of kundalini is it accompanies the pro the the kind of shift that takes place yeah it's a way for integrating it uh, integrating the shifts into the into the uh, uh, subtle bodies, um, and so it, it's a part of the process, just like uh, clearing the physiology and, and uh, uh, ex exposure to uh, the source, as I mentioned earlier, um, pure consciousness. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, to, you know, from my experience, it's not the the, the means. Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's useful to understand a little bit, but because uh, there are various kinds of things uh, you can experience, the kriyas and so on, as the different channels open up and, mm. and like that. Um, but it, it in itself is not the, uh, the, the cause of awakening. Right. So, you know, one of the really interesting things that you mentioned that I really appreciated was, um, you know, you talk about in your own experience having kind of a vision of Krishna, even though you didn't have... I didn't, you didn't kind of finish explaining it in the interview, but it sounded a bit like you didn't have necessarily a concept for the personal God. It wasn't like Christian, you had some sort of devotional practice towards Krishna, but it appeared in this way. But you, you mention how, you know, there are images that can arise based on, you know, your own phys physiology or experience or karma or, you know, conditioning. And that the important thing is the, to emphasize is what you call the feeling value of the vision and not the form it takes, which I thought was really kind of beautiful. So can you talk about the feeling value and what the role of this is in the process of awakening? Yes, yes. It's a, it's a, one of the reasons why that's important is also um, because there's, there's um, one of the concepts we don't have in the West is so much is that the, those various levels between the physical, you know, we have the physical, the energetic, emotional, the mental, the, the intuition, intellect, uh, fine feeling level, um, the uh, causal, celestial, uh, the bliss body, let's call it, and, and uh, uh, what's known as Chittamaya, and then pure consciousness itself. There's kind of those seven primary levels. And uh, there is life on all of those levels. We tend to, you know, our, our most of our uh, sensory focus and, and is, is outwards into the world that we're living in. And so we, we generally only recognize physical beings, but with the refinement of perception uh, and so on, um, other those other values of, of uh, life can, can unfold to our perception. Um, and that's where recognizing the feeling value is useful because there are some 
just like in the physical uh, world, in the next level down, uh, there's a range of beings, you know, some people call out the astral in, in kind of a broad way, you can say, who are, who are there. Uh, some of them are, you know, have roles as, as guides or support um, people. Um, and some of them are, uh, you know, humans between lifetimes um, and, and so on. Uh, but the, um, but there are also those who are not really cooperating with the process. Yeah. And, and so they're kind of troublemakers, or you could say. And uh, and the and that's kind of a field of especially when you get into the, the, the mind the field, um, essentially they can appear however they choose. Some some things can, and uh, and so they can appear to us however they want to appear, and they can call themselves some fancy name and, and have some fancy appearance, uh, but they'll be there. Uh, I mean, if, trying basically to looking for, to getting attention, yeah, and perhaps trying to manipulate us in some way, and that's really not healthy. Um, and so paying attention to how those kind of things feel is important because divine beings, the things that are a little bit more subtle than that, um, they're very aware of their connection with the divine. They're, they're, um, they, they know they're, they have a, a very clear dharma or a purpose in life, and they don't mess with people that way. Yeah. Uh, they, they're supportive, but they don't, they don't mess with, with people. And, and so the feeling value is quite different. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the broad advice I would give if you're, if you're starting to experience subtle beings is to just leave it, you know, put most of your attention on your, your life in, in the world uh, and uh, not get into it too much until you're aware of both. Yeah. And then, then you know the differences and stuff like that. But, but in the meantime, use the feeling value to kind of uh, uh, share. You know, some of my experiences there made me kind of circumspect. So when, when uh, Krishna first showed up, I was kind of like, Okay, what's this? You know, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't need any more of that stuff in my life. <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah, I didn't know what, quite to, what to make of that. And of course, I, I was in a tradition that talked about having a personal God. Um, you were that, in a tradition or weren't? I was, was at the time. Okay. And so I had these concepts about it and, and thought, okay, well, here's a form of God showing up. Is, this supposed, is he supposed to be my personal God in some way? But I didn't have any kind of connection with him like on that level. Um, but uh, over time, it became clear that his role was more to point me uh, higher, yeah, uh, to 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 take take things further, um, and uh, and then and then I much later on I found about I found out about this tradition tradition in the Vedic uh, canon of of the uh, Pancha uh, Devata, which basically means the five forms of God, and. Uh, uh, and there's kind of like five, it's kind of the different, there's different perspectives on this because there's like the Trinity uh, perspective, you know, right. uh, Shiva, Vishnu, uh, Rama. And then there's this other kind of perspective that's of five and they're kind of more um, uh, associated with, with the levels coming down. Um, and it, and you know, there's all a gazillion different perspectives, of course, of all this stuff, but uh, there's different ways relating to it. And I was simply experiencing uh, one version of, of, uh, of, that aspect of the five because later on other ones showed up and, and then it became clear that none of them was the, the personal god so to speak they, yeah. they were um, and i should mention in this too um there is this um what i call the personal and the impersonal there's kind of like two modes of relating to our experiences uh the, per the impersonal is kind of like um uh, relating to the world through the intellect mm -hmm. and in that perspective we we can see principles and and functions and the perception becomes more refined, 
and we see the the, the way things work on, a, on an underlying level, but in a in a way that science would would uh, would look at it, look at the world yeah. uh, as as principles and processes and so on. And then there's the personal, and in the personal we shift to the same principles, but now they're embodied. Hmm. They're they're uh, they're uh, everything that happens is being done by some form of being, and um, they have a, a a role to play in in, in, in that, and um, so there's the, each, each of those modes has a, has advantages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's much simpler and cleaner to, to take an intellectual, uh, impersonal approach to the world and to, to see the overall process and so on. But if we want to get down into the details uh, of how something actually works, being able to have a conversation with with the the being that's responsible for. Uh, uh, something is is uh, can be handy, um, and it can be practical sometimes too. For example, <clears throat> you know, if I'm I'm on a plane ride and the and the plane is quite rough, I can have a conversation with the the, the wind, Davis. They're involved and and uh, they'll uh, you know ask them maybe if they can move over. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like if I'm not too fond of this turbulence. Can you please? <laughs> elsewhere so is this um you know when you're talking about the impersonal personal it sort of makes me think of like you know the vaishnavas versus the shivas where you know shiva shakti is sort of like consciousness and energy dancing and it's kind of an impersonal even though they 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 sort of utilize personal imagery and then um the vaishnavas being um you know the the highest is the personality so is it is is i sort of feel like you're saying that these sort of exist simultaneously and without contradiction um and aren't sort of hierarchically opposed to one another is that sort of what you're saying or is there sort of one that is there are two. I just look at them as two modes, and for me, it's like changing focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what is it that I'm putting my attention on? The, you know, using the intellect to, to analyze it, or shifting more into the intuitive side. Um, you could say, uh, or you could say, heart and mind. Uh, uh, there's different ways of looking at that, but um, uh, slightly different ways of relating to the world. But it's almost just like changing focus. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and and different, and you relate to it in a different world, and as, as, as a way. Um, and as I mentioned, it's 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 uh, it, most of the time I, I work in a, an impersonal because it's just otherwise it's too much information all the time. Mm. Just it simplifies the being in the world. One of the uh, arguments around, if I can just press this a little bit, one of the arguments I feel like around person the personality that sometimes because I t- I am the same as you I feel generally inclined towards a kind of impersonal you know recognition of all of this but there have been times particularly when I was traveling in India where I was it was almost like I was playing with the experience of of the divine as as person and there was a kind of intimacy that was provoked by that and it felt comforting in a way and so is there a part of it you know that is the impersonality inherently lonely in a certain kind of sense, or you know, is that I don't, I don't know if, how to frame this question, but you know, what would call us um, from the kind of sense of feeling intimate with the world? Um, what would call us towards that intimacy if we were perceiving the absolute in this kind of impersonal way? Yeah, it's an interesting. Um, uh way of looking at it, there's because there's there's people who are more inclined to be devotional and people are more inclined to the intellect. It's not, when I first looked at that stuff, they talk about the yogas or paths, the, the jnana yogi and the bhakti yogi and all that. Um, um, 
And I used to think they were kind of black and white kinds of things when I first, you know, like the danger of concepts again. Yeah, yeah. But what I realized is, is that we're all kind of a mixture. And yeah. uh, one tends to be emphasized more than another. Uh, I have a strong intellect, for example. But to, that doesn't make it, you know, doesn't mean that the others aren't part of the picture. Um, the other part of it is the stage, the, the stages in consciousness emphasize certain stages. Uh, waking up is has a strong component of the karma yogi in it because it's a process of of experiencing um, the the self within or spirit or, or uh, you know pure consciousness however you want to word that and then taking that out into the world and acting in the world and integrating it and then going back in and out and it's this kind of like how the the uh, dyeing the cloth analogy in India yeah. where you go dip the cloth in the dye and then you hang it out in the sun to bleach in the in the activity of the day and then you go back in and dip yourself in source and you go back out and bleach it in activity and it's by going back and forth that you uh, integrate them and and, uh, and make the color fast um, there's but there's also this uh, stages aspect where for example in the God consciousness stage there's much more likely to be a, a more heart uh, orientation more devotional uh, phase and in, in a sense there's these kind of two in the stages model I talk about these kind of these two parallel processes um, of consciousness waking up to itself in the different layers uh, but intertwined with that is this refinement process that's taking place and, and they're kind of like the Shiva and the Shakti uh, processes and um, a lot of the non-duality uh, teachings at the moment tend to emphasize the Shiva side, the, the consciousness, or however they want to frame that um, uh, side, with, with much less of the of the Shakti side, much less about the world is is dismissed as an illusion, and, and yeah. you know this thing, which is kind of a renunciate approach. Yes, uh, right. Whereas when you're living in the world, it's you're in the world too, and so uh, how do you integrate those two two aspects, and and uh, in, including the feminine or the Shakti side. Um, uh, uh, brings it uh, brings it a fullness uh, a, a richness that's that's not there with with just a plain shiva by itself yeah um, and so it's kind of like and that and that's where the impersonal and personal play as well the personal uh the shakti the the, the form the expression is much more of the, the heart and the personal mm -hmm. uh whereas the, the the shiva is much more the impersonal and the and the you know the observing consciousness mm -hmm. the detached the detached awareness so one of the questions that comes up about this, and then I do actually, I want to kind of, I do want to walk through the stages so just so everyone can kind of hear them, um, you know, kind of laid out in a kind of bullet point sort of way, but, and then and we'll do a short summary of each one. But one of the things that comes up is um, the question of the ethical, right? And, and, um, and especially with all of the stuff that's been happening, obviously, in spiritual communities where, you know, we can argue that certain beings had radical experiences of consciousness, but then they were sort of, you know, shitty people. Um, and so, you know, what part is, you know, I hear a little bit that what you're saying is that the ethical is sort of something that kind of happens uh, in the kind of refinement process. But is it possible, um, I guess one question is, is it possible to reach these higher states of consciousness and still not be a good person? Um, or, uh, yeah. or is there a particular level where that sort of, you know, what we would call the ethical or the moral or, you know, what sh makes us show up in the world as a, you know, a better human being is, is something that takes place. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, point. I I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but at the, uh, science and non-duality call conference this fall, Rick Archer and, and uh, a group of them, uh, uh, have founded, uh, an association for professional spiritual teachers. Amazing. Uh, 
APSD and they've got a website and that kind of stuff and they've got um, uh, they're doing there's webinars going on and that kind of thing and it's basically like a peer support thing for spiritual teachers because in the modern modern age a lot of the spiritual teachers are, are essentially independents on their own yeah. and many of them don't have uh, peer support and, and uh, that kind of thing and so it's easier to get caught in their stuff yeah uh, and especially when there's all these students who are you know adulation and all that kind of thing going on yeah uh, um, um, but yes, it's because there's this awakening doesn't stop us being human. There's still a human there. Uh, Ken Wilber had, had talked about uh, waking up, growing up, and and cleaning up. Yeah, uh, you know that's quite valid because there's you know waking up doesn't make make us grow up. They're they're different things because mm -hmm. waking up is happening at a, a very deep level. There's still the human up front. Um, and waking up doesn't mean becoming a teacher either. That, that's one of those myths that that's, needs to be blown up because just because you have some real, I mean, you might really feel like you want to share after you have a profound shift, uh, but you may also find that most people who you know don't relate to it very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, they're kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? And, uh, and, and going out and just starting to teach doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have teaching skills because teaching is a skill. Right. It's, something we, we don't necessarily have. And some people were born teachers and, you know, they just have that skill naturally. And some people don't, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not so much a teacher. That's not quite there where my skill area is. Uh, I tend to talk uh, a little too high and abstract for <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> um, but um, um, sorry. The waking up, growing up, the, the kind of waking uh, yeah. up, growing up, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things I, I realized, uh, um, Adyashanti doesn't talk about this quite the way, but he talks about head, heart, gut. Mm -hmm. And what I realized in my experience is the ego has kind of a threefold, uh, a threefold uh, layers. There's kind of the concept of a me that, you know, uh, the, the ideas we have, we kind of have this story. It's very subtle, but we have this story about being this person and, and you know, that has this job and has this name and, and so on like that. Um, underneath that, on the level of the heart, there there is the energetic drivers of that story. And then down in the gut, there is what I call a core identity. Uh, Suzanne Marie calls it existential identity. Um, uh, that's kind of like this grip that's... that's um, Historical. It, it started many thousands of years ago um, when we lost connection as a, as a, in, a in group consciousness. Um, group consciousness goes through these large cycles over over time. Like the yugas, uh, rising and falling. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And rising and falling consciousness. We're in a rising cycle at one point, but in the prior fall, there was the, the there was the loss of connection with divinity, and so we kind of grasped on to what was what was still there that we knew, and this the sense of identity. This core sense of identity, and that's usually unconscious until um, uh, a certain point. Now, for a, for a long time, I associated head, heart, gut with uh, awakening, uh, self-realization, and that God consciousness, because the awakening heart is part of the God consciousness process, and then the unity shift. Um, but I've since seen that they're not necessarily synchronized. Um, like Suzanne Marie, in, in her case, she had that uh, release with her Brahman shift uh, after unity. Um, and I know people in, in uh, I know someone, for example, in Brahman who's recently had their heart opening mm. after Brahman. 
So they haven't got to the, the core identity yet. So there's still some thread of identity in there, uh, of, of personal stuff. Um, now, of course, this is me analyzing it in fine detail. Yeah. Uh, the average person may not notice in quite such, uh, you know, but, but there's a, essentially there's a process. And in the Vedic tradition, they talk about it taking 12 years to mature into an, into an awakening. Um, and, and indeed, people who, who wake up and then start teaching right away, it's usually a little premature. Yeah. So there's usually a lot of unpacking still going on, and you really don't want to be dumping on your students. Um, and um, but there's a, 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 a in any case, and then you, if you could then go on and have other stages, then the, those stages have to be integrated as well. So it takes time to to uh, mature this stuff, um, and uh, and to to clear all those levels of it, because each of those levels has their, you know, I talked, you know, the, the experience for me when the the center fell out of the concept of a me, and I, when I woke up, there was the sense of shrapnel, you know, it had been blown up, and there was this kind of shrapnel floating around of these uh, related stories that tied into that the central story um, that uh, had to be resolved over time. And some of them roasted by the, the ship, but some of them not. And just time to have for them to come up and, oh, that's still there. No, that's not true anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. Of clearing house, uh, you know, it took a little time. And it's, and each of them is, is true on the, that. Um, if there, if you clear the, the concept of a, of a, of a, a me, but there's still energetic drivers. It can still show up uh, here and there because uh, the, the drivers can still push to the surface. And so it just kind of takes time to, to wind those down. Um, yeah. So the so, 12 years you're, you're mentioning, the 12 years it takes, or I don't know who you were no, citing. It's a, yeah. one of those things. Well, it made me think of the Geshe education. Do you think that's why, like, the, the kind of, you know, t it takes, like, the 12-year Buddhist education process? Is that maybe the justification for that? Is that they sort of, there's Could been be. some I, kind of, like, intuitive understanding that this is sort of, like, the timeline? I, I could, it could be. Um, I'm not as familiar with Buddhism. I've, I've studied Buddha's teaching himself, but not the, the various um, modern branches of it. I know Buddha himself spoke to these stages, um, but... Um, there isn't a surviving model of un unfolding. Yeah. Um, I did have a, a Buddhist uh, academic tell me that, that there was stages equivalent, actually what he considered better version of stages <laughs> than my model. Uh, so I asked him, great, send it to me and, and that, but um, what he sent me was incomplete. And what I, what I see in the Buddhist uh, perspective in a, in a broad kind of way anyways, is that there's, they have, for example, the 10 bulls model uh, which is a process of the stages in their practice towards waking up. So it's a process, and, and it's quite specific to their practice, the way they approach uh, overcoming the ego. Um, and, and then they talk about these really high qualities of a fully enlightened bodhisattva and that. But what, what about in between? What's the process in the middle there? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's not really defined in modern Buddhism, particularly from what I've seen. Mm. Um, but um, but even in the you know within the Vedic community, um, a lot of this what I'm talking about has been lost as well. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of concepts that are uh, that have become common um, uh, that uh, really don't um, don't support uh, 
uh, what their original understanding has been lost. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's something that Paul talks about a lot as well. He talks about that, you know, one of the features of the Kali Yuga is that these sort of systematic, coherent, you know, um, body of sadhana has been lost, you know, that sort of sequential, the understanding of like the sequential unfolding of the absolute is sort of, yeah. is not available or has been sort of obscured. And we've got, you know, our kind of, you know, everything but the kitchen sink kind of um, salad bar spirituality sort of um, taking its place. Um, so the tw with, you know, I just want to ask a very kind of silly basic question, but, you know, for those who are maybe not as familiar with the these topics, when we're talking about, you know, 12 years um, of practice, you know, just obviously this is a number, but um, uh, are we talking about 12 years of like, meditation practice like devoted meditation practice is this you know, what, I, what i'm talking about is 12 years after awakening for it to fully mature i see yes and of course that's a broad number uh it, it you know everybody has their own process but it just kind of gives a, a perspective on it so not so there isn't the expectation that you wake up and then everything all your problems are gone and right <laughs> and, and uh, you know it's uh, it's kind of like a panacea for your humanity um, it's it's not it's a whole different thing. It, it, it's a whole other layer to human life, and it brings a, a richness and fullness that that um, yeah, that's beyond any any concepts that I had about it before. Um, but it is a it is a process, and it's still you know for me it's still unfolding very much, and there's still uh, areas of you know little shadows that come up that I thought, oh I thought that was gone a long time ago, and, yeah. but something that comes along and, and brings it to the surface, and there's some deeper level that, that hasn't been cleared yet and and there's still new uh vistas that are unfolding and, and yeah uh, and, and in fact the vistas now go beyond anything that i that i had concepts for before but the practice that's supporting this refinement is a daily meditation practice yes okay yeah. but if so then would you from your perspective if you know say tomorrow i'm I, my first stage of awakening begins if i if i don't then meditate daily is that sequential unfolding still going to take place or will it not will it sort of be held off well, until i you know find the time to to invest in the supportive practices well it's an interesting point actually because i know a few people who felt done when they woke up and, and actually you know I had a few weeks ago i had a fellow write me and and joke about the fact that he's felt done for the third time um, <laughs> Because there is that thing. Because because when it, if there's a clear awakening, it can feel like you're complete. You're yeah. in, you're liberated. You're 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 done. Um, and so there there are people who invest in that, or they, they kind of believe in that, and become identified with that in some way, and and they think this that's it. There's no more, and um, and they'll mature into that. But that concept can be a barrier to further progress. I mean, there's a section in the in the Rig Did where where one of the, famous sages talks about the importance of desiring unity so there has to be some well he's pointing out there needs to be some intention to to continue not a, a strong like you know it doesn't need to be the seeker's desire kind of thing anymore that, that falls away but just just some some intention to to move in that direction yeah. rather than resistance or whatever but you know from my perspective for that intention to be there you have to know it's there mm -hmm. you don't know that there's unity there's there's, there's more beyond self-realization then, um, then there isn't going to be that that movement necessarily. Now, some people have it anyways. I've certainly had people tell me that what I'm saying is nonsense and and uh, it's a bunch of concepts and so on like that. And then they've got they've opened up to the next stage and they say, okay, 
Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> you were right. There was some discernment there. Yeah. Yeah, there was some more there. Okay. But but yeah, there, there it, is, it is very uh, uh, common for people to think they're done uh, after a clear self-realization. Mm. And, um, but, you know, like, like I mentioned, this guy felt, has felt done now for the third time. For the third time. And he'll probably feel done fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. as many seven stages as there are. So um, yeah. so I have a question that's sort of one of the these ones that I think um, comes up a lot for people, which is, you know, you know, th- one of the kind of, and this goes back to our sort of ethical question, of course, which is, um, you know, people hear this and they think, well, that's all well and good, you know, but what are we going to do about, you know, Trump, patriarchy, racism, the ecological crisis, and Actually, et cetera, really and good. so on. You know, yeah, that's a really good point that, that I, I want to talk about a little bit, because one of the things to understand that's different about now than before is that what's happening is consciousness is rising. It's rising very rapidly. People are waking up quite regularly now. It used to be a, a pretty rare thing, and um, now it's not, you know, common yet. But there's a lot more waking up going on than, than there there has been. And uh, one of the and, and there's now also people moving into stages that were weren't even talked about before. Uh, I mean, I, I you know have these fancy names for these things that have happened have, have shown up here. But um, but I'm certainly not the only one, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I was able to write about them in the book because I because I can talk to a bunch of people that, that have had those kinds of shifts, and so not just a lot of awakening going on, but there are people who are moving into quite advanced stages now, which are not supported unless the group consciousness can support that. Right. There's this rising of group consciousness, which isn't really apparent for the average person on the street particularly yet, but what it's doing. It's doing on the on the group level of what's happening on the individual level, and what that means is is that group consciousness is rising, and so group consciousness is purifying, mm-hmm. and all this stuff that's been hidden and uh, suppressed and and uh, and that is being pushed to the surface to be cleared. Now, if you understand that what's taking place is a purification process, you can help support that, and you can help clear clear things and and resolve some of this drama. But if you you deal with it on the level on its own level and see it as what it you know you know on the surface value of it um and get into a, a drama and you know and so that, then basically you're amplifying it yeah bring it and that would so, be like perceiving it as sort of end of days narrative kind of thing that, that perception yeah, of it. yeah we're getting into a big drama about you know um well it's kind of like the anti-war anti-war versus pro-peace kind of thing that mother Teresa commented on um you know, do you, are you out there going out there fighting against what you don't want, or are you out there pushing for what you do want? Yes. And what what are you what what is your attention on? And and if you're getting you know spending all your time fussing about the drama of Trump and, and or whatever, um, then um, then you're you're actually you're putting attention on it. You're amplifying it. Yeah. And so <clears throat> what you want to do is 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 look for look at solutions rather than problems. And, and that can help uh, resolve what's taking place. And it's kind of like we're being called to, to, to go to a higher level kind of thing. And if we can understand that that's the dynamic going on in the world right now, uh, we can help support the, the, the thing. Because there is essentially a global awakening taking place. Um, and the key now is not if it's going to happen, but how smoothly it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the more we can bring, bring the right attitude towards it, and support that process, 
uh, the, the smoother the process is going to be. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm really glad, happy that you said that about, you know, focusing the attention on kind of forging into existence a new sort of, you know, consciousness or reality or program or however you want to look at it. Because yeah. I think some people, you know, they misunderstand that as sort of not being attentive to the the fight or, you know, we should focus on, you know, fighting these evil demons. Whereas I feel like what you're what you're sort of essentially positing is that, you know, as a result of this process of forging into existence, the supportive mechanisms of expanded consciousness, you actually dissolve those, you know, sources of turmoil in a kind of a certain kind of way. There's another dynamic that's taking place now, which is very new. Um, uh, in the last five years, um, there has been one of the things about the yuga understanding is that there, essentially there are certain laws of nature or principles we talk about those you know the, the life forms whatever they go dormant they go to sleep for period long periods of time when there's you know the idea in Kali is that, that basically 25% of the laws of nature are awake the rest are all gone have gone dormant so what's been happening in the last short while is the whole whack of of laws of nature are waking up now mm-hmm. from their and they kind of go through this process of waking up and then they work as, as teams. And so uh, they wake up and then they start integrating with existing awake laws and it creates new synthesis syntheses. Um, and uh, there's this process uh, like that that's taking place. But now in the last year, there's another layer that's going on, uh, even actually probably the last six months that I hadn't seen before, where because there's now people living um, pure divinity in their physiology. Um, the um, there, there's a there's kind of the, we have these kind of layers to the body. There, there's kind of a what's known as the cosmic body, which is essentially a body of all bodies, um, uh, where you start to live. So typically around uh, advanced unity, um, if there's a refinement, a refined unity process unfolding, and um, What's, what's happening is that because people are, are now living pure divinity, the laws of nature that are operating in their physiology are immersed in divinity. Mm-hmm. And so they're having spiritual awakenings too now. Mm-hmm. So it's not just people that are waking up, but it's the actual laws of nature and, and uh, that are, and those, some of those laws of nature are more local, but some of them are, are universal. And so there's this process basically where they're waking up in in the local experience, and then that awakening is starting to fall back. Uh, even since the interview with with I had with Rick and Archer, that there's been a, a process there where it's it's falling back now into the their universal nature, and then it can flow forward into everybody basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so when so you say sorry, can I just clarify that because I'm yeah. I'm trying to sort of because I love the beauty of the image of of you know awakening laws of nature, but I don't know if I totally understand it. Which is you know yeah. like are are you saying that something like gravity is waking up, or do you mean something like a previously un you know activated movement of consciousness is waking up and beginning its sort of you know. Like, okay, there's two different things. Yeah, there was, this is where waking, I guess I'm slightly confused there, but there's that first process I was talking about where they're waking up from sleep. Yeah. Uh, and now there's this process where they're waking up as in um, enlightenment. Uh, they're, they're becoming enlightened. See, their, their process is different. For us, we, we take these dips in source 
until we, we um, uh, wake up to it. Whereas for them, they're already um, uh, very aware of those kind of dynamics. Uh, waking for them is recognizing their divine nature within. They already know it without, but they're waking up to their inner divine nature the way we're waking up to it you know, through you know, meditation and so on. Yeah. And um, uh, so the process is, for them is a little different. But by, by being immersed in it, in someone who's able to live that, there is a, uh, a process of, of, of the, the actual laws of nature that are supporting our world and, and, and our experience that are, are waking up now, too. Um, now, in, in this case, it's, it's fairly specific. It's things like uh, the devas associated with chakras, uh, the devas associated with mahamaramas, that kind of thing, mm. uh, that are associated with physiology. But, but it kind of has a cascading thing. So there's... So the implication essentially is that there's a uh, the the awakening process on the on the collective level is accelerating and it's re reaching another level of of, of uh, profundity hmm. and it, it should at some point this should start showing up in the world. Yeah. But I'm looking um, forward to it. <laughs> yeah, for people because right now it's we're still talking about you know um, fairly subtle levels, but uh, you know. A friend of mine who's who's quite perceptive recently said that the causal level woke up to itself mm. uh, uh, about a week ago, I guess it was, and um, you know that that's a whole level of, of existence is, is awake to itself now, mm. um, <clears throat> two stages forward from consciousness itself. So it's kind of moving forward into into uh, um, that's two steps up from from what still most people experience because most people are kind of in the in the uh, body, mind, emotions uh, range, yeah. that, uh, in the lower chakras, that's where most of their experience is taking place. So it's not moved into that too much yet, but it is kind of uh, at the higher levels. It's moving forward progressively, and, and so it, it'll it'll uh, it'll be quite something. Uh, right. I'm yeah. I'm 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 looking forward to it. You know, showing up a little more on the surface. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it um, would be. Yeah. yeah. So what we're seeing more is more drama showing up on the surface, on the surface, because that's where the purification is taking place. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, you know, to end, it's sort of strange to end on these steps, but we might as well end with it. And um, the 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 post personal stages, um, which I forgot to ask you, when you say post personal, it's sort of, you know, post this sort of like um, contraction around the the sort of egoic body mind. Is that sort of what you mean? By post personal, uh, yes, um, yeah. The, the uh, Sophia University uh, refers to transpersonal uh, yeah. development. Uh, you know, so the because in psychology you have these, this model of personal development, uh, Lovinger's uh, stages of ego development, and, and right. so on like that, cognitive development, and, and like that. So these are basically a step past those stages, and it's the stages that come after that. Uh, in my talk at the Science and Non-Duality Conference in, in 2015, I, I, did, I talked about uh, that. I talked a brief review of the psychological stages and how these, how that, how that steps with transcendence or you know the practices in our meditation, how we step from a, a personal development into post-personal or transpersonal yeah. uh, yeah. development. Yeah. So first stage then of the post-personal development is cosmic consciousness. So can we just we'll just go sort of point by point and maybe if you could give a short summary okay. of each one. I know right. we've talked about all of these basically in different ways, but just getting a little more systematic with it. Yes, yes. Uh, so the first way, cosmic consciousness is a term that's used, or, or self-realization is a common term 
essentially that's the self waking up to itself through this apparent uh, person. And uh, it's essentially the, it's the observer side, the Shiva side of uh, consciousness that's woken up to itself. And so we're typically in some kind of value of witness uh, where we're, we're kind of detached and we're not quite as caught up in in our world experience, uh, we continue being the same old, same old uh, human we were before. Um, it's kind of like uh, nothing changes, but everything changes. Right. Because what what's what's actually changing is nothing to do with the person and, and that kind of thing. It's it's where we're experiencing from, who we experience ourselves as being. But that change of perspective changes a lot of the way we relate to the world and so on like that. We're not in our mind and, and in our emotions the same way as we were before, we're, we're kind of a, a step back from them and we're, we're watching life uh, play out. Um, now, uh, it depends on the kind of practices a person has. Uh, if someone, um, and how much refinement is going on, but if there's less refinement, there isn't really a refinement stage then, there's more, um, the, the next stage will be the stage in consciousness of unity. Mm-hmm. And in unity, like I described earlier, uh, we wake up to the screen that's behind the um, uh, the world of experience around us uh, realize that everything around us is consciousness it's also and the consciousness there and the consciousness within us are the same consciousness yeah. so there's a oneness um, and the sense of inside and outside falls away and um, uh, and we gain this this profound intimacy with everything mm. because it's itself the you know the the table the, the camera the every, everything is myself mm. um, and uh, there's a profound intimacy can go on, go on there. And then, as I mentioned earlier, then there's a uh, when when uh, self comes to know itself fully, there's the opportunity for it to step beyond itself into what uh, it was is called Brahman in the in the uh, um, uh, in the Vedas. Uh, Ajashanti uh, is, in the last few years has been talking about a second no self stage. Uh, that's what he's referring to here. Uh, okay. he, he doesn't. Uh, there isn't the language in there quite for that, so he's kind of using no self, no self unity, no self. <laughs> um, so those are kind of the three stages in our relationship with consciousness. And then there's the feminine side, the, the refinement side um, of uh, refinement of perception. So there's uh, that can begin before awakening, or it can begin well after, or become obvious. It's, it begin. It's been going on the whole time, but you know there's there's uh, various influences that have bring it on online more and if there's a refinement process active then there's a what's known as a god consciousness stage where there's an awakening heart and a refinement of perception where we become aware of those layers between consciousness and our, our more surface level of experience and um and, and there's a gazillion ways that unfolds right because uh, there's a lot there to, to to be seen and some people are more uh sight oriented some people are more feeling oriented some people are more touch oriented i use visual words because i'm visual but um it doesn't necessarily show up visually at first although it may um and then um and then that same refinement continues after the unity shift Mm -hmm. but not in the new context of unity so it becomes its own stage so there can be the unity shift and and then an unfoldment of that and then what was there before comes back in this new context and at the top end of unity the, the highest unification is with our sense of, of the divine or God. Um, and there's a, a unification with God. Um, so I am that, I am that, you know, I am the universe, I am all of creation, I, you know, bigger and bigger. And so the, the sort of the 
the crowning one is a God realization stage where one unites with God on a very high level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then after that, you can go beyond. Uh, but again, that's a, you know, that may or may not be there, uh, depending on if there's that refinement process underway. And then, um, after Brahman, there's, there's all, there's usually a couple of stages, like sometimes for Brahman, at first we were, um, what we're aware of, what we don't have anymore. Because there's this the loss of the intimacy, um, one the oneness, and that uh, we go beyond all that stuff, <clears throat> and so there can be a, a more of a, a, a perception of loss in the uh, Vedas. It's referred to as the Great Awakening because it's kind of the biggest of the shifts. You have to basically, essentially surrender the entire enlightenment you had before to step into this new value, and then what is actually there starts to unfold uh, a short while later, and the um, Brahman begins to know itself. Um, and and then there's another version of refinement uh, that can kick in there too, although it's because before it was refinement through the values of the heart and perception and that, but um, yeah, this is this is kind of different. Um, I talk about it in the book a little bit, and some of the things that can unfold there, like uh, the cognitions, you know, the Vedic cognition kinds of stuff and that. Yeah, what did you mean by, uh, I wanted to talk about that actually, Vedic, cogn- we're, and we're still on, you know, 3A, we're in like the refined Brahman stage, yeah. is that correct? What, yeah, what do you mean by Vedic cognition? Obviously, many people will be familiar with the Vedas as the, you know, yeah. ancient well, scriptures Vedas, of India. The Vedas are, well, it's the, the main Vedas are, are cognized. And what that means is that the, the sage or seer who's having the experience of that, um, Kind of has a it's like a download but uh, on steroids so you know if i if i experience this pen for example uh i'm seeing it from one side i'm seeing it certain qualities and colors and stuff like that but if i was to cognize this pen i would know the totality about it i would be able to see it from all sides i would i would know its history where it came from what it's made of all the details about it and um and so it's kind of like this more complete experience. Okay. And in the, in the case of a Vedic cognition, it's, they're also kind of inscribed in consciousness, so to speak. So somebody else who's able to 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 uh, be at that level can actually have the same experience. They're kind of encoded um, experiences, uh, three-dimensional experiences. Um, and so they're they're kind of a style of experience, but very specific. And um, and there's a there's kind of tiers of it as well. There, there's people who, who kind of re, uh, experience cognitions that are, that are lively in consciousness. They're, they're kind of, have, they're, sometimes they, they're a bit sleepier and sometimes they're more, they're more lively. And they, so, so kind of they, they, they have kind of a basic cognition where they have the experience that's been had before recently and they revive that still further. And, but, you know, have more people having the experience brings it more and more alive in consciousness. Um, there's a deeper type where you revive a cognition that's gone to sleep, essentially. Um, uh, this aspect of, and that there's a there's a, a there's a dot, law of nature deva that's associated with these experiences as well. So it's kind of like they they enliven that law in in creation, and so it can can start to function again. And then uh, there's the the highest type, which is the the, the, the Vedic or the or the, the original cognition, where, where that is first brought forward into into the creation and, and um, brings that uh, that um, law of nature online. Um, so, although it's interesting to reflect on because 
to the process that's going on right now because I'm seeing laws of nature wake up, which implies that someone out there is is having the cognition that wakes them up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, someone else. Uh, and and uh, uh, and the interesting thing to note, though, is that they're, they're kind of like, they're actually kind of pre-programmed into, into our creation so that a certain person is born at a certain time to have that cognition and, and, and uh, bring it in and bring it forward and, and uh, evolve the creation. Yeah. So then with Ve- with the Vedic cognition, as I hear you describing it, I just I'm trying to understand sort of the relationship between the the Vedic cognition as sort of this kind of um, principle or, or fundamental experience in consciousness and then the kind of transcribed Vedas as you know, we understand them as tra- as as manuscripts. Am I understand is, is that sort of is the transcribing of it sort of filtered through a certain cultural historical context and therefore it, it contains the sort of feeling value of the Veda and yet it is not the the Vedic experience purely cognized okay there's yeah there's there's a there's kind of layers to it and it's kind of interesting one of the things we tend to think about is the evolution of language that first we had these languages were developed and then we developed a written language but from a perspective of the yugas the cycles of time um an oral tradition and then a written tradition are actually symptoms of a devolving yeah, consciousness. Right. And and like Veda Vyasa was famous for, for organizing the mandalas, the Rig Veda, and, and writing them down. Uh, because he did that because the cycle of ages was they were coming into a dark age and he wanted to preserve them. Yeah. Um and because the oral tradition was breaking down. And or we recognized that it would break down in it, which it, it did. And, and the oral tradition was was there to uh, which was passed down through families to sustain uh, those those experiences, um, but they were in turn a, a a way to try and sustain the, the the wisdom. But but if you're able to listen, when when somebody chants the Vedas in Sanskrit, uh, if you're able to listen on that uh, level, what's called Ritambara Pragyan. Um, uh, the celestial or, or the, the causal level, if you're able to, your awareness is able to sit on that level and listen to those Vedas, there's that potential for that that experience to replay in your experience. Mm-hmm. And so it basically, uh, there's a relationship between name and form. Uh, in the English language, there isn't, but in Sanskrit, there's a the uh, sound of the word that means something uh, is it has encoded within it the vibrations that actually can create that form. So there's a direct relationship between those two things. Um, and and so if you're able to listen to those sounds on that level, um, that can unfold the experience in your awareness. It's kind of like a, a key that unlocks the door, though, really, um, because of, uh, the <clears throat> Sanskrit, uh, the way it's used by the devas to actually create form is a kind of a simultaneous way. Uh, these complex vibrations through through kind of a it's almost like a kirtan uh, call and response sounds whether and they're speaking kind of simultaneously together to create these really complex vibrations that give rise to the form uh, whereas when we, we speak Sanskrit we kind of speak it the way we're talking right now in a yeah. linear sequence of, of sounds and words <clears throat> so um, but it's a way to kind of it can, can be a way to open the door for somebody who's sitting uh, listening on that level Mm. Uh, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I I appreciate the yeah kind of attempt to sort of... <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, uh, right. We're talking about the abilities of some people at, at very high levels of 
you know, for most people, it's kind of like you're kind of having you're sitting there in meditation and you settle into silence, and then you, and then your mind goes like, oh, I'm in silence. But as soon as you start thinking about it, exactly, you know, yeah, yeah. we're talking about somebody able to sit in silence and stay there for a long period of time and and, and have thoughts and, and do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, a more a pretty advanced stuff. Some of this, right? absolutely, yeah. So you know, I we're sort of entering the end of our time together, but I wanted to ask you, you know, based on these the stages that you've been describing and and outlining for us, you know, is there anything else that you feel as important to share did we miss one actually oh, we were almost yeah, yeah yeah but the last one there of course is parabrahman yeah and parabrahman is kind of where the the stage the two threads of, of shiva and shakti of, of atman and stuff they come together yeah. and um parabrahman is not going to show up if there is refinement because it's like a climax of the refinement um and it has substages within it as well um, and that's still unfolding here. So I, you know, the, the, the larger picture, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but, um, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a, um, and it, it, it's kind of like the source of the source, the pure divinity. And so it's kind of the, the most interesting because it's kind of, there's certain, uh, things about the dynamics of consciousness. When you see how consciousness creates the world, there's certain things in there that you know where does this come from kind of a thing you know, why would it do this and not that and mm -hmm. and when you get back into pure divinity then it actually makes some sense mm. it's kind of like a guiding hand so to speak and this when i say divinity and stuff i'm not referring to some old guy with a beard and then it's right. like throwing the clouds it's it's yeah. uh quite a bit more subtle than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm hoping most people listening to this podcast are, are privy to that uh, at this point. Yeah. Um, so, David, you know, I know that you have your website, davidia.ca, which is just a treasure trove. I mean, it really, for anybody that hasn't had the pleasure of checking it out, I mean, it really is. I mean, how many years have you been working on that blog? Uh, well, I started in 2007, so I guess about... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just chock full of, uh, again, it's just like an encyclopedia of, of spiritual kind of, you know, journeying, and it really is a beautiful piece of work. And so anybody that hasn't familiarized themselves with it, please do, davidia.ca. And then, uh, David, do you want to share anything else about, you know, any events coming up that you're participating in? I know you you you, sh you come to the SAN conferences every year. I was there last year, but we didn't make it this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah, in some years. Um, um, yeah, not particularly. Mostly, what I do is I write, and um, and so that's kind of my shtick. I do have the I did do a uh, the gas pump interview with Rick, a second one, um, where we talk about some of these things um, while I was at the Sand Conference, and that's going live this next weekend, probably before this this will go up. Um, but uh, yeah, um, um, but yeah, that's basically yeah. Every so often, I show up and do something like this and mostly it's the writing. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do. I mean, what's what's great about you is that you have such a kind of matter of fact and humble way of describing all of these things and it makes it really easy to to kind of um, believe the the quite, you know, otherwise what would sound like quite crazy stuff perhaps <laughs> to some people who haven't, you know, had these stages of realization yet. Whereas, you know, you just have a, a kind of mode that makes me trust you and, and probably everybody else out there. So that's works in your favor. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm constantly reminded of my humanity. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to be. Well, David, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, pleasure was mine too. <laughs>